Sound Minds Radio, getting you behind the research and ideas in contemporary life. This episode produced by Michael Schubert. Sound Minds Radio, part of the Community Radio Network. Soundminds.com.au Welcome to the Sound Minds 5-Minute Research Pitch 2017 Finals Presentations. The 5-Minute Research Pitch is a competition for academics to present their research in 5 minutes. That's it. They can use 3 slides and there are no more rules. Researchers from 7 universities competed this year within their university in two categories, Science and Health and Arts, Humanities and Social Sciences. The winner in each category progresses to the finals. This year the competition was hosted by Central Queensland University because one of their researchers, Dr Melanie Heyman, was the 2016 overall winner. You can hear more from Melanie in the Sound Minds episode Fit for Two, where she discusses her innovative and entrepreneurial research about fitness during pregnancy. The competition was held at the Central Queensland University campus in Melbourne, hosting the competitors from seven universities, Central Queensland, the Australian Catholic Uni, Charles Sturt Southern Cross, Southern Queensland, Tasmania, and Victoria University. It takes more than knowledge about your research. It takes preparation and precision. You're disqualified if you run over five minutes, and if your slides don't work, you're on your own. Some of the unis have coaches to help their participants out. This is big. To summon the academic world, outside of publishing and taking the knowledge about our world forward and teaching and communicating to students, There's a need to communicate to the public, to potential funding bodies. It's essential. Today we feature two academics from the University of Tasmania. Dr. Catherine Kent from the Centre for Rural Health, who researches flavonoids and cognition, and Dr. Karen Brent from the Faculty of Law, who informs us that understanding international law can govern negative emissions. Catherine Kent researches cherries and plums Well, more than that. She researches a group of compounds found in many deep-coloured berry fruits, including the queen garnet plum and, of course, cherries, the flavonoids. You may recall Abhishek Santhakumar, who is interested in similar compounds and the potential for their use in the prevention of cardiac disease. The Soundline's episode was called Pigments, Plums and Pulses. But Catherine, with a background in nutrition and public health, is interested in the cognitive, preventive, and potentially curative properties of the anthocyanin-rich juice, helping with short-term memory and cognitive function. Her talk, Flavonoids, Food for Thought. Don't you just hate it when you can't think of a word? Or when you forget someone's name? Look, I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm sure it happens to everyone here occasionally. But everyone take a moment now and imagine you've received a diagnosis of dementia. That means forgetting people's names or where you put your glasses is just the tip of the iceberg of potential distressing daily occurrences. It's hard to imagine though, right? I can help. If you take a look at the person on your left and the person on your right, if all three of you make it to old age, statistically speaking, one of you will die with dementia. It's Australia's second leading cause of death, and there's no cure. 
So with no successful medical treatments, identifying those protective lifestyle practices that can slow the development and progression of dementia is imperative. Nutrition's a really promising area of research, and in particular, a group of compounds called flavonoids are causing a stir. Flavonoids are an amazing array of over 6,000 compounds found virtually in all plants, providing that plant with colourful pigmentation. We consume a vast variety of flavonoids through plant foods like fruits, vegetables and tea. And a high consumption of flavonoids is linked with a protection against dementia. Flavonoids are thought to provide neuroprotection by lowering our blood pressure, increasing the blood flow to the brain, and they prevent the deterioration of our brain's cellular architecture, which can happen as a result of both ageing and dementia. My research is establishing novel methods to more accurately measure flavonoid intake. And along with a multidisciplinary team, we're investigating the impact of supplementing diets with natural fruit flavonoids on blood pressure and cognition. So in order to establish a link between flavonoid intake and a health outcome like dementia, the first and most fundamental step is to accurately assess flavonoid intake. We have to measure what people are eating. But as flavonoids are so numerous and so diverse across the human diet, this is really quite difficult. I've recently analysed comprehensive dietary data to calculate the optimal number of days of dietary records that we need to collect in order to assess flavonoid intakes precisely. I've shown that we need to collect between 6 and 10 days of weighing food record data, which is much higher than the 3 days that's routinely collected. This finding not only has major implications for nutrition study design in the future, but the interpretation of published studies linking flavonoids with improved health outcomes using potentially inadequate dietary assessment methods. Now to overcome some of the, lim of the limitations of these usual dietary tools, I've developed new flavonoid-specific food frequency questionnaires for use in both older adults and people living with dementia. My tools have shown to not only more accurately measure flavonoid intake, but have made research quicker and easier on participants and research teams. And their application in future research has the potential to make our flavonoid diet disease relationships clearer. Now, we know that these large population-based studies can link flavonoids with a reduction in dementia, but what happens when we supplement an individual's diet with extra flavonoid-rich foods? Two such foods are cherries and plums, which contain high levels of that purple-red flavonoid group called anthocyanins. We've conducted a series of supplementation trials to assess the short and long-term benefits on cognition and blood pressure associated with consuming cherry and plum juice. While we haven't documented any immediate cognitive improvement, uh, we've been able to show a dramatic reduction in blood pressure in the 24 hours following consumption. And our first longer-term trial showed that a feasible serving of cherry juice consumed each day improved measures of memory and word retrieval in people who are living with dementia after only 12 weeks, which is really quite remarkable, and highlights the potential positive impact of just small dietary changes. But now I've scared you with the statistics, you're all probably thinking, well, are flavonoids the silver bullet cure for dementia? Look, perhaps not. This is only one piece of a really comprehensive puzzle. And we need more research in this area. But given our preliminary results, the role of flavonoids in potentially influencing the impact of dementia is food for thought. Thank you.
Here on Sound Minds, we're no stranger to academic discussions regarding climate change, and we've taken some pretty unique perspectives. You may recall Professor Ben Newell's fascinating findings regarding judgment and decision-making, and the attitudes that people have when faced with catastrophic events like tsunamis. The episode is called Climate Change, Coming Ready or Not, and Professor Joseph Reza's research indicated that the psychological impacts on individuals of the ongoing stress of climate change and how people will manage their psychological responses and lifestyle options seem to be the most important factors, but yet they're the least researched and the least considered by policy and decision makers. The episode's called Climate Change, Personal Experience, Catalyzes Acceptance and Motivation. And now, from the five-minute research pitch, we have Dr. Karen Brent, from the discipline of law, considering whether international law is up to the challenge of governing new global technologies, such as geoengineering, that are increasingly being considered as part of the broader discourse around global climate responses, and concluding in her five-minute talk that understanding international law can govern negative emissions. Climate change presents significant threats of harm to the global environment and to human society. I'm researching how international law can assist the development of new technologies that may be able to reduce this threat. In 2015, world leaders came together and negotiated the Paris Climate Change Agreement. The goal of this agreement is to limit global temperatures to 1.5 to 2 degrees Celsius. This is a safe zone, necessary to avoid the worst impacts of climate change. However, climate change scientists are beginning to realise that just limiting our greenhouse gas emissions alone will not be enough to maintain this safe temperature zone. As you'll see from this graph, which is produced by leading climate change scientists, they suggest that we will also need to remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. That is, we'll have to achieve negative emissions. By 2030, we will need technologies in place that can draw carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and store it for thousands of years. One proposal is to burn plant matter for energy and capture and store the carbon dioxide that's produced by the combustion process underground. But to do this on a scale large enough to influence climate change, would require vast land resources. We're talking about land use greater than the size of India. So it's going to have implications for global crop production and food security. Another proposal is to fertilise the oceans with key nutrients to create algal blooms. The algae will draw carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and it's hoped that marine biological processes will then trap it on the ocean floor. However, these proposals present significant risks of harm to the marine environment. So negative emissions present new environmental risks and global governance challenges. Now, this is where my research comes in. As an international lawyer, I'm researching how negative emissions can be governed at an international level. There's already existing rules of international law that may already apply to negative emissions. But the problem is, These rules were all created for other purposes, and we don't yet understand what implications they have for the development of these technologies. For example, 
there's international laws about the protection of biological diversity. That includes the protection of habitats and ecosystems. And these rules are likely to be triggered by proposals that involve large-scale land use. There's also a vast network of international laws that regulate how we can use the world's oceans. That includes what we're allowed to dump into the world's oceans, as well as obligations to protect the marine environment from harm. So the key question is, will these existing rules of international law sufficiently respond to the risks of negative emissions, as well as enable responsible research and development? After all, we'll likely need negative emissions technologies within the next 13 years if we are to maintain that safe temperature zone. So I'm identifying relevant rules of international law that may apply to negative emissions. Now these can be found in the text of existing international agreements, like the Convention on Biological Diversity or the International Law of the Sea Convention. They can also be found in practice or customary based rules like the duty to prevent transboundary harm. I will also analyse the texts, uh, the, the decisions of international courts and tribunals to better understand how these rules should be interpreted and applied to real life scenarios. I will then work with other international lawyers to analyse whether these rules adequately respond to the risks of negative emissions, but whether they're also compatible with that need to develop these technologies in the next 13 years. Finally, we will recommend how international law might be changed to better manage negative emissions and the need to have them in place by 2030. My research will assist international policymakers to design legal frameworks for negative emissions. These frameworks will be necessary if we are to meet the Paris targets and avoid the worst impacts of climate change. You've been listening to another episode from Sound Minds Radio, produced for the Community Radio Network. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or visit our website, soundminds.com.au.